everyone. Happy Sabbath to you. Uh, what a, I'm just going to move this so it won't squeal. All right. Everybody doing okay? Good. Let me say it again. Happy Sabbath. S- certainly is a uh, delight to be able to come on these uh, grounds once again. And I want to thank Haskell, Glenn, for the invitation to come. Uh, we, we spent many times uh, working together over the years. And then, of course, uh, Ralph Ringer and I spent many years, many years. And all of these men used to be in Florida Conference and uh, Carolina Conference was wise enough to, to bring them up here. So what a joy. What a joy. And uh, Ralph, where are you? He said, okay, yes. As I said, Ralph and I spent many, many years uh, working together. And uh, just a joy to be able to come. Um, I bring you greetings from my wonderful wife. Uh, could not be here. She has uh, meetings herself, and uh, but she sent her love. Thank you. And then I have, I have a praise report. Uh, I must take time for the praise report. Before coming here, uh, a pastor's wife. Felt, felt faint. And uh, her, husband, her son took her to the doctor, gave her x-ray, and they discovered she had a tumor on the brain. And the neurologist rushed her into the hospital and said, we have to perform this surgery immediately. And, uh, of course, they, she was bleeding on the brain. Tubes in her, and, and uh, her husband sent out word all around to pray for her, not knowing what the outcome was going to be. And we went down in prayer, serious prayer, all around. People all around Florida, outside of Florida, prayed, prayed, prayed for her. And... Uh, Day before yesterday, he said she opened her eyes and she was wiggling her, her fingers. And uh, excellent sign after brain surgery. And then the last report that we received is that she was sitting up talking. Now, I believe God still hears and answers prayer. Anybody believe that? Oh, yes. I believe that God still hears and answers prayer. I believe it. So I just, I just wanted to give a praise report because it does us all good to know that the God we serve is a mighty God. Would you bow your heads with me? Sanctify me to thy service, Lord, 
by the power of grace divine. May my soul look up and my will be lost in thine. In the name of Christ we pray it. Amen. I want to talk with you this evening on the power of love. The power of what everybody? And before I do, I want to start off by giving a puzzle. I want to throw a puzzle at you. See if anybody can answer. And the puzzle simply is what line? What what everybody? What line is 50,000 miles long? Reaches around the world two times and grows at a rate of half a mile a day. Let me throw it out again. What line is 50,000 miles long, reaches around the world two times, grows a half a mile longer each day? Now, I know that you probably will not come up with the answer, so let me give it to you. The line is people in the United States, North America in particular, United States, who are unchurched, know not the Lord, do not belong to any church whatsoever. According to George Bonner, a Christian pollster who researches churches in America, there are 360,000 churches in America, and only 15% are growing. Of that amount, of that amount, only 2% are experiencing conversion growth. The rest are Christians transferring from one church to another. They are reshuffling the deck with the same cards, as it were. My brothers and sisters, the church in North America, Adventism in particular, is missing a grand witnessing opportunity. The unchurched population in the United States is the largest mission field in the English-speaking world. The unchurched population in the United States is so large that if it were a nation, it would be the fifth most populated nation on earth after China, Soviet Union, India, and Brazil. United States churches are not growing to keep up with the population. Of the nearly 280 million people in the United States, only 40% of adults attend any church. Over half of the churches, over half of the churches did not report one, not one conversion. Not one conversion. Now, my brothers and sisters, out of these millions of people, lost people, in North America, 
These are lost people. The Seventh-day Adventist Church, with a listed membership of nearly 15 million, has only 1 million members in North America. And we are struggling. Struggling to try to keep it a million. In spite of the fact that our Lord tells us that we are to go preach the gospel everywhere. Now I want to bring to you some serious information tonight. First of all, all of these million people in North America, millions, have not accepted Christ, do not belong to any church, and most of them have no desire whatsoever of even going to a church. I want to give you four basic reasons why people are not going to church. First of all, they view the church. I'm talking about the unchurched, people that have not accepted Christ. They view the church as completely irrelevant, out of touch. In other words, the church is not scratching where they are itching. The church is talking about everything except their concerns and where they are hurting. And so men and women who come to the house of God and, and they have pain, they have children that are either behind bars or children that are on drugs or marriages that are all broken up and all kinds of problems and when they come in and they hear not what is communicating to their particular need then they just get up and leave number two they have never been invited talking about the unchurched many of them have never been invited to church and you know uh, Glenn, the thing that puzzles me, I'm talking about uh, Christians in general, Adventists in particular, the thing that puzzled me is how in the world can a Christian work on a job for 15 and 20 years and never even attempt to invite somebody to come to church. And even more, how, and I really don't understand, how can a Christian, how can an Adventist live in a neighborhood for 15 and 20 years and never, ever invite their neighbors to any kind of program of the church. Now, I don't understand that. It's a puzzle to me. My wife and I, uh, neighborhood where we live, and you know, most posters like Bonner and others say, the longer a person is a Christian, the less contact they have with non-Christians. And that's sad. My wife and I live in a neighborhood where 
they have, uh, you know, we have these neighborhood parties, etc. And we go. They have these neighborhood parties and we go to their homes and uh, they have their, their, their liquor. They have their way of doing things, but they know the Rosses don't drink. They have lemonade for us. And we have checked the lemonade out too. But everybody in that neighborhood knows at least and we, and we have an opportunity through their inebriation to at least drop a word of the Lord. And when there are problems in that neighborhood, it is not unusual for them to knock on the door. Please pray for us. They have never been invited. And then, of course, the third reason is that people distrust organized religion. They trust it. People have declared that the church has taken Jesus, who was a carpenter, and made him a CEO of organized religion. And that the church, this is the feeling, the church is about hierarchy, power, and control with a political agenda. And most people, when they come in and they see what's going on, they'll, oh, no, no. I have, I, I'm dealing with this on my job. I don't, I don't need this. One historian said that religion, that Christianity was born in the Middle East as a religion, moved to Greece and became a philosophy, journeyed to Rome and became a legal system, spread through Europe as a culture, and when it migrated to America, became big business. Now, that's a sad commentary. But it's not too far, not too far from truth. And a recent poll revealed that many people who say they believe in God, but they are suspicious of organized religion. I have, I have a book, and uh, it's a familiar book. Many of you probably had a chance to read it. It's, it's, it's called, I... I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. And it's fascinating to, to read the commentaries and to read uh, of how the experiences that people have had with the church. And individuals look at the church and they declare, no, I don't want to to be a part. I don't want to be a part of it. Uh, people are looking for the real thing. They don't care how much we know until they know how much we, what everybody. They want to know if our deeds match up with our creeds. They want to know if our lip service matches our love service. They want to know if we not only can talk the talk, but walk the what, everybody? The walk. They want to know that. And Jesus left a clear and unmistakable sign that men and women might be able to identify his people. How we might know the truth from the false. You know, I remember as a youngster growing up in, 
in New York. I remember it still uh, has an indelible impression on my mind. I remember Times Square and and, uh, 125th Street, all these. You see men would stand there, and, and they usually would target the tourists. And as the tourists would pass by, they would open up a, a, a statue. Nothing but watches. Mom, beautiful, shiny watches. And they, said, and, and they, come, 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 come. They would show these so-called expensive watches. You can have it for $40. You can have it for $40. And a, a person was not familiar with that particular scam. They would purchase it. And it wouldn't be long before they got home that the whole thing would fall apart. Uh, And you know, my brothers and sisters, Jesus, people are, people have been scammed so much, disappointed so much, and that the least thing that they need is to be faced with that type of thing when they come into the house of God. Jesus said in John chapter 13 and beginning with verse 34 and 35, and you're very, you ought to be familiar with this one also. He said, John chapter 13 and uh, beginning with verse 34 and 35, he says very clearly in the word, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And that's the fourth reason that people have decided not to be attached to a church. There's another lack of love in that church. They folk are just so cold that you can skate down the aisle. Nobody speaks to anyone. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another by this. All people will know that you are my what everybody? That you are my disciple. If you what? If you love one another. That's what the Lord says. And the church must. You know my brothers and sisters. People don't come to the church much anymore when they when they need spiritual help. There are so many other groups and religions around the world. There is there is Hinduism, there's Buddhism, there's animism, there is the New Age. Uh, there are all kinds of groups that are feeding into the hunger of love. And if they come to the church and their hunger of love is not being felt and they go to these other people who have a philosophy of love. A philosophy of love. And they, and they are brought in. Then it's very difficult to pull those people away. And Jesus says, the characteristic that I am leaving by this shall all men know that you are my disciple. 
if you have love one for another. Some years ago, a man walked into a church, and I, uh, I was reading about uh, this fellow who had walked in the church, Methodist church. When he walked in, the church was packed, nowhere to be seated, and he was unkept, shoes running over, clothes ragged. He didn't find anywhere to be seated, so he walked right down the aisle. And he sat on the floor right before the preacher. And when he did that, a deacon got up. And the deacon walked right down the aisle. And the deacon sat on the floor right next to him. Put his arms around. And the preacher, when it was over, the preacher said, this was the best sermon that you could ever see. It is by this shall all men know you are my disciple if you have love one for another. And we have to be, as members of the house of God, we have to be careful. We have to be sensitive to the needs and the hunger of people who come into the house of God or people that we are trying to get to come to the house of God. Many years ago, there was a, and, and, and our young people, our young people as well. Many years ago, there was a 13-year-old boy who sat in a Sunday school class. And as he sat in this Sunday school class, looking over the lesson with the teacher, he saw children from Ethiopia. Their bodies emaciated, could see their bones from hunger. And the, the 13-year-old boy raised his hand and he said, Teacher, does God know about this? The teacher said, Oh, the teacher said, Oh, God knows everything. Don't worry about that. God knows everything. That 13-year-old boy got up out of that class. He walked out. And he never came back to church again. And that 13-year-old boy's name was Steve Jobs. He got up and he walked out and never came back again. What, what if that teacher had handled it differently? Just what if he had said, Yes, God knows about it, and he's looking for people to help him do something about it. And you and I sit down, and we maneuver our laptops and our computers as a result of the invention of that young man. And how much there's no telling the church of God could have accomplished. And there's no telling how many people that we have missed out by not handling a situation correctly. And you are gathered here today as elders. They have asked you to come in that you might be 
a more effective worker in the house of God in dealing with people. In dealing with the hurts of people and the needs of people. God is looking for men and women who are links let down from heaven to reach men and women. Ellen White says, in the church of God today, brotherly love is greatly lacking. Many of those who profess to love the Savior neglect to love. Neglect to love those who are united with them in Christian fellowship. We are of the same faith, members of the family of God. We ought to love one another. The people, she goes on to say, the people of the world are watching us to see if our faith is real and sanctified. The people of the world, how many, you know as well as I do, the comments that most unchurched people say, either they declare that we are hypocrites or we just don't love. My brothers and sisters, we ought to be able to remove those, those challenges and charges. By this shall all men know that you are my disciple if you have love one for another. Dr. Nate Long from Glen Memorial Church on the campus of Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, states how he had been working with a family, a husband and a wife for years, and the wife had been trying to get the husband to come to church. And he said, he stood up one Sunday and looked into the congregation, and he saw this husband in the congregation. And he was amazed. He said, oh, he said, maybe I can say something that will encourage him to come back. And so he preached this message, greeted him at the door, and invited him back. The next Sunday, the man came again. And the next Sunday, the man came. And the next Sunday, the man came. And Dr. Long said that one Sunday, he preached and invited people to give their lives to Christ. And that man was one of those who stood up, gave his life to the Lord. And he said, I asked, I asked him, please come in my office just for a moment. He said, you've heard me preach about uh, several different subjects and for the benefit of, and, and of, of helping me know how to reach other people uh, may have been in your situation. What sermon did I preach that really touched your life and encouraged you to give your life to the Lord? The man said, Pastor, with all due respect, none of them. said, the truth of the matter is that I've been living with a wife for over 40 years. And I have never, ever seen anybody who loved like my wife. In spite of all of my failures, she kept on loving me. In spite of all of my deni denial of, of God and the church, she kept on loving And And I've come to the conclusion that I want to love like that. I want to give my life to the Lord because I want to love like that. Love. Sometimes people ask us preachers, 
What can I do to get my husband to come into the church and to serve the Lord? There's only one answer, and that's love him. Keep loving. Don't, all of your debating won't do a thing. All of the arguing won't do a thing. It, the best thing that you could ever, ever, ever do is to love him. Love him when he's mean. Love him when he's happy. Just keep on loving. Keep pouring the love in. Love and love and love. And my brothers and sisters, if love doesn't break a person down, nothing else will. He said, I lived with a woman for over 40 years. And nobody has loved like that. More people have been saved by love than by any other thing. Jesus said, John 13, 34, 35, By this shall all men know you are my disciple if you have love one for another. Unselfish love. You see, we love others who meet our needs. We love others whom we get along with, who make us feel good. We love others who do things for us. We love people who give us things we want. We love those who respond with love whom we like. But that's not the kind of love that Jesus is talking about. He said, love them whether they love you or not. Love them whether they do things for you or not. Love them when they criticize you. And elders, you're going to be criticized if you haven't already been criticized. Yes, love them. Keep on loving them. Love saw the guilt of sin and sought a basis of pardon. I like that. Love saw the alienation of sin and sought a ground of reconciliation. Love saw the defilement of sin, talking about Jesus, and sought a way of cleansing. Love saw the depravity of sin and sought a means of restoration. Love saw the enslavement of sin and sought emancipation. Love saw the malady of sin and sought a balm of healing. Love saw the condemnation of sin and sought a method of justification. Love saw the death of sin and sought a way of life. Love sought and love found. Oh, my brother and sister, there's no love like the love of God. And when we really love, learn to love the Jesus way, there will be no need. I know it may sound strange. When the church of God really loves, when we love one another, and when we love people that uh, are anti, and people that are antagonistic, and, and people in our homes, and people in our community, and people on the job, when we really love like Jesus, there will be no need for any evangelistic meetings. There'll be no need for any programs to attract people to come. When men and women see church members forgiving each other, when men and women see church members speaking to each other who have not spoken to one another in years, when men and women see church members go to a brother with tears in his eyes and, and, and extend his hand and declare, I'm sorry, I was wrong. When men and women see 
love permeating from the house of God when they can walk in the door and just feel the atmosphere everywhere. They come into the house of God and see no cliques in the church, that there are no big eyes and little me's and no politicking and uh, all of that doing uh, election time and constituency meeting time and on and over when they can see that, that there, uh, all of that has been put aside and there is no backbiting and gossiping and being judgmental of one another and judgmental on the, on the young people when they make a mistake, when one brother makes a mistake, that there is it's not, it's not a judgmental attitude, but everybody, as the word says, come together and, and pray and lift that person. Not excusing what the person does, but love covers a multitude of sin. When that happens, when that happens, Young people who have left the church are going to return. The postmodern generation that does not want to have anything to do with the church. The postmodern generation will say, now, this is what I've been waiting for. And, uh, and when it happens, you're going to have men and women who have left Christianity and they have hooked up with Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and animism and, and the New Age and Confucianism. They are going to see now this is the real, the real love. And this is what I've been looking for. I'm so regretful of the fact that Mahatma Gandhi didn't see it. Hatma Gandhi wanted to be a Christian, but they wouldn't allow him to come into church. He said, well, we don't know. We don't, because of his nationality, wouldn't let him come in. So he left. Hatma Gandhi said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. When the church of God loves as we ought to love, my brothers and sisters, you are going, you talking about a revolution? You talking about a church that doesn't have room for people? You talking about an overflowing? You are talking about an explosion? If you don't believe it, just try it in your own home. Try it in your own community. That's what the Holy Spirit is waiting for. It's no use talking to anybody about what to eat and what not to eat if you don't love. Some of the meanest people you can meet are vegans. I didn't say it all. The meanest people and that will send you to hell because you are not a vegan. I mean who wants to who wants to deal with that? No need talking to anybody about diet or the Sabbath or the 2300 days or the state of the dead or any of that. If they do not feel loved. That's why Jesus said in St. John chapter 14, 15, he said, if you 
love me, keep my commandments. He put the love ahead of the commandments. Because if you teach somebody the commandments and they don't have the love of God in their hearts first, then you have a bunch of legalistic people that are always uh, trying to mimic here and, and, and uh, uh, stress this and stress that. But when you have people who love, it makes all the difference in the world. And uh, I think I'm on time, Glenn. Okay, I'm about ready. Well, uh, I don't know how many of you, and I'm closing, talking about the power of love. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of a plastic surgeon by the name of Maxwell Maltz. Famous plastic surgeon, renowned. Maxwell Maltz tells in one of his books of how he was asked to come to a lady's house. She wanted to talk with him about their marital challenges. And so he went. And he sat down and talked with the wife for a considerable amount of time. And then she opened her heart. She said, Doctor, my husband and I were married just a few years. After we got married, my husband bought a house. And then he invited his mother and his disabled brother to come and live with us. They came, and everything was going well, but unexpectedly. And they were living in the extension of the house. But unexpectedly, a fire broke out one day. Exactly where my husband, mother, and invalid brother lived. And he ran to the house and he tried to get them out. He was overcome by smoke. Make a long story short, my husband's mother died and his brother. And in the process of trying to, to rescue them, he was burned severely. His face was disfigured. Terribly. And ever since that day, he has locked himself in his room. It's not come out. Had to slip things through the door. And the plastic surgeon said, I can help your husband. I can help him. I can restore his face. The wife said, no, doctor, you don't understand. That's not why I called you here. I called you here because I want you to disfigure my face so that my husband can feel comfortable with me in his presence. And the doctor said, now wait a minute. I'll tell you what, I, I, I appreciate that, but just give, me, just give me time to talk with your husband first. So he went upstairs and he knocked on the door and he said, he said, sir, my name is Dr. Maltz, plastic surgeon, and I can help you. I want to talk with you. I can help you. 
Just give me a chance to talk with you. There was no answer. He knocked again. Sir, I know you're in there. I can help you. I understand what has happened to you. Just give me a chance to talk with you. There was no answer. And then he knocked the third time. No answer. And Dr. Malt said, Sir, the reason I'm here is because your wife asked me to come. And she asked me because she loves you so much. Your wife asked me to disfigure her face that it might look like your face. That's how much she loves you and how much she wants to be with you. There was silence. And then there was a slow moving of the knob of the door. And the door opened and he invited the doctor and he said, if my wife loves me like that, then you can come in and help me with my face. And that doctor was able to restore that man's face to the extent where he and his wife were able to have what they had before the fire. What words could not do, what reasoning could not do, what no mathematical equation or philosophical thought could do to get that man to open that door. Love broke it down. Love reached his heart. And love made the difference. Jesus says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciple. If you have love, one for another. May God bless you.